Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. This morning in the book of Exodus. And so do turn to Exodus chapter 17. And uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to make a few comments, and then we're going to read the second half of Exodus chapter 17. Lord, we've been singing this morning that you would uh, prepare our hearts. And indeed, Lord, we know that we constantly need to be nurturing and uh, caring, taking care of our hearts before you. Praying that your spirit again this morning would be at work uh, molding us, forming us, aligning us, enabling us more and more in our submission to you as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And, And as we turn to the scriptures, Lord, thank you for that which you have given and that which, Lord, even this morning we're able to consider together. And we do pray, I do pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together Lord, be acceptable in your sight, and also, Lord, that these words would continually be transforming us, we pray. Amen. So two weeks ago, I did begin with Exodus chapter 17, and uh, it is a passage that's divided into two clear sections, and the challenge that I sought to bring to you from that first part of Exodus 17 was, was this. While it is true that you cannot change your circumstances in some instances. Things happen. The reality of life as it unfolds around you, you're not always in a position to to change or even have the ability to alter those circumstances. You can now ever take responsibility in the way that you respond. The way you uh, respond, the choices that you make. And I sought to bring a message from that particular passage as the need to take care of your heart, having a tender heart for God, uh, allowing, as it were, the Spirit of God to be at work, as we even learn from the Apostle Paul, looking back on that passage, looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who provides for the thirst of our souls, Him being the living water. And so, yes, the main point from that particular section of the passage was the heading of that message Take care of your heart all the way on this journey to heaven. Well, as we move on this morning uh, from verse 8, we're going to be seeing again that, and I want to emphasize this uh, aspect of the service, that again, while you're unable to take responsibility, you're not always able to be in control of your circumstances, the things that happen around you and to you, You can't take responsibility for that which confronts you. And this morning I'm wanting to speak about the response of watching your back. Can't do anything about the circumstances. But you can, in the process of the unfolding of your life, watch your back. Title of this morning's message. So turn with me then to uh, verse 8 of chapter 17 and follow with me in your Bible. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, 
Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went, went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, on one, uh, on one on one side and the other on the other side. And so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. We do need to think back just into the context and uh, what had taken place just prior to this particular uh, event unfolding. Remember that the people of Israel had water provided uh, to them and for them. And I would imagine them being normal people like us, that having water, they now saw this particular place, Rephidim, as, as the real place of rest. Now the place was living up to its name. They could be refreshed, they could be strengthened, they could sit back, they could relax, they could prepare themselves for the next leg of the journey. But all of a sudden, to their shock and to their horror, I would imagine they were suddenly faced with war. And so we read in verse 8, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now again, important that we place ourselves in their shoes, thinking what it must be like in that particular moment when suddenly war is declared. On that particular day, in an instant, they learned by experience, very difficult experience, that the world is not their friend. It is a fact of life. That in this world, every believer needs to face up to what I want to call in my first point this morning. Watch your back, you have an enemy. Watch your back, you have an enemy. We have for the past month or so been watching the horror of war. Much of the visual and video material on the news channels seeing something of Russia and Ukraine battling it out. Uh, not only a physical destruction of buildings and cities, but we've also seen something of the plight of people. Uh, people running for their lives, people displaced, people's homes being destroyed, uh, families being separated, and no doubt families grieving the loss of, of loved ones. And so we think about war, and, and I want us to think this morning, yes, that war, and like most other wars and other conflicts, there is always a background and a context that provides insight and an explanation why this aggression, why, why is this war taking place? And we can investigate, and, and I've read up, and there are reasons that go back uh, decades, 1984, and then down to the 60s, why Russia is at war with U Ukraine. But, but why this war? Why is it that the Amalekites 
have undertaken this aggression towards the people of God? Well, there's a history. There's a background that we need to understand. There's, there's a context that will help us not only understand the unfolding of this particular event, but also help us in making application, hopefully relevant application, for us as the people of God living today. So let me give you just some of the context. Bear with me. It's a little bit of history. Um, Israel, of course, at this particular point, uh, is a nation unlike any other nation. At this point in history, they were unique. They stood in a special covenant relationship with God. This covenant, we know, was established with Abraham. Remember God calling Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans? And then that particular covenant was repeated. It was reiterated again to Isaac and then to Jacob. And so we pick it up this morning with Jacob, him, him being the chosen covenant leader. But Jacob has a brother, Esau. And Esau, as we read the unfolding of the history of the people of God, is left out in the cold. Esau is not included, and, and, and he's bypassed, in some senses we could say, by God. And so therefore there, is, there was hostility between Esau and Jacob, and between Esau's descendants and Jacob's descendants. And so these Amalekites that we read of in Exodus chapter 17 are the descendants of Amalek, who was the grandson of Esau. And they had a deep-seated hatred for Israel, the people of Israel. Now that antagonism, again, comes in a context. Uh, it's antagonism against the people of God, which constitutes, as we look back into the beginning of Genesis, a vivid fulfillment of what God says in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 15, where God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity means there's going to be a divide, there's going to be a clashing, there's going to be conflict. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. So we're told here that the human race will be divided into two parts. There will be those who belong to the kingdom of darkness, Satan. There are those who belong to God. And so the Amalekite hatred for Israel, we can say it can really be traced back to Satan himself, the devil. Thus giving us the needed insight and the application. So understanding that context, understanding that reason for bringing about that conflict. If Satan is at the source and the root of that conflict, we need to say, well then, how does that apply to us today? Author Henry Law, and I quote him, he says, Believer, believer, those of you who are believers, the race of Cain, of Ishmael, of Esau, still lives. Be ready, be ready. Their hate is sure, their wily steps are near. When least expected, they will plot their worst. Therefore, the title of this morning's message, Watch Your Back. My first point, 
Watch your back. You, as a believer, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a converted uh, person here this morning to faith in Christ, you have an enemy. Satan, Satan and his offspring are constantly at work, not only attacking the people of God, but the very cause, the redemptive cause of God, and in doing so in various ways. And so to be a Christian is to be engaged in spiritual warfare. You're part of a conflict. It is a warfare going on that you cannot see beyond the, the realm of the physical. The Apostle Paul speaks of this warfare in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, he, he tells the Ephesian believers, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. And he gives them some counsel, some advice. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This conflict, this ongoing struggle, this, this, this uh, enemy that we're having to fight. And, and then he elaborates. We do not, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. There's more to this world than what you see. Understand the, the reality of the spiritual realm. I went on to see that a little bit later in the book of Deuteronomy, in the unfolding history of Israel, we have some detail referring back to this particular attack of the Amalekites that was launched against the people of God at Rephadim. So Deuteronomy 25 verse 17. So now Moses writing, he says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. And cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you. And he did not fear God. Now there's a lesson I'm trying to extract over here. To show you that Satan has a particular tendency to attack those who are lagging behind. And what do we mean by those who are lagging behind? Those who are uh, loafing in their Christian walk. Those who are taking matters uh, lightly. Uh, can so easily become most vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. And so therefore a warning this morning, and, and each of us needs to ask what it is uh, that our attitude is towards our walk with God. Is it one of, of, of sloppiness, of laziness, of being lackadaisical? Is it one of being uh, uh, amongst those who play in the devil's backyard, thinking that this is uh, unimportant, or those who have a frivolous approach to their walk in faith, or those who are slack in their spiritual disciplines? Be careful. There's a warning. Beware, lest you become the next statistic. Another believer fallen. Another so-called professing believer becoming an apostate. But be careful as well as we continue to see it's not to them alone. As I look in the broader context of, Bible, of the Bible. Also Jesus who warned Peter. And I think of Peter as someone who is on the forefront uh, as a follower and disciple of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demand to have you that he might sift you. And my point simply is this. All of us here this morning are vulnerable. We have an enemy. 
If you're a believer, you have an enemy. And so therefore, to move on this morning, not only watch your back, you're an enemy, but watch your back. You have a battle to fight. Attacks will come. They come in diverse manner. I've jotted down some thoughts this morning, ways in which these attacks come. This is not a comprehensive list, but certainly right from the beginning of the Bible, we see that Satan uh, attacks the people of God in crafty, convincing deception. Many people are gullible. Many people so easily are deceived uh, and deceiving even others. And so we must watch our backs. Another area that I, I believe each one of us face almost on a daily basis is in relentless appealing temptation. I used to think as a younger Christian that when I grow mature as a Christian, temptation will become less and less appealing. <laughs> That's not so. That's not so. The remaining marks of sin within us so easily want to leap out and, and submit and, and, and yield to the temptations that come our way. And, and, and so we need to recognize, we need to realize, to be on our guard against the temptations that Satan and all of the kingdom of darkness presents to us. It comes, and for various reasons, in, in varied efforts to destroy your faith. That is the desire of, of, of Satan, to discredit Jesus in sowing seeds of doubt in your mind and in your heart, in undermining gospel ministry, so easily deceiving people by either adding to the gospel or taking from the gospel, sometimes in even physical harm. That's what happened to Job. Remember that? God giving Job, as it were, the parameters in which he could operate in attacking Job, in seeking to discredit him in his faith with God. It would be true to say that the attack today is very obvious and aggressive in the area of uh, God-designed marriages, the God's intention and design of the family is under huge attack. And, and we need to recognize that this isn't just uh, philosophical uh, uh, outcomes from the elite universities in the United States of America where liberals dominate. No, the, the, behind this there is the work of the evil one, dividing churches. And so my point simply is you have a battle to fight. How do you fight? Well, Moses, if we turn back to this passage, adopted a twofold strategy when Amalek attacked. He gave Joshua some men and he sent them out to fight. And secondly, he stationed himself on a hill over the battlefield. And I want to explore those two different strategies. Have a look at verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men, go out for a fight uh, and fight with Amalek. I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Well, Moses understood the need for practical action. They needed, as a people, 
to get the men out there to serve the interests of the nation, to protect them from the enemy's attack, attack, to stop what would have become so easily the annihilation of Israel. And so we could, and I'll try to put this in practical terminology, we could say that Moses understood as a first strategy the need to serve the purposes of God. Serve is a verb. It's a practical word. And so too, we must never forget that God has determined to work out His redemptive purposes through means, through people, through you and me, those who become and are instruments and ambassadors of the gospel. We can't simply have an attitude as we fight this fight, uh, sit back and let God, and, and we watch as the world goes by. No, we have to stand up. We have to be about doing the master's business. We have to get out there making disciples. Verb, it's, it's, it's doing stuff, it's action, it's, it's declaring the truth of God. People come to faith by, by hearing, and how will they hear unless the word of God is preached? We need to contend for the faith once and all delivered. These are practical ways in which we serve the purposes of God. And so we penetrate the culture, we stand against the culture, we, we come with gospel light, and we fight for our families and we fight for the church, and we fight with the gospel, and we fight uh, stopping, as it were, and not yielding to the redefinition of marriage and gender identity. This is a call to action. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. The Apostle Paul continues, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. There's again responsibility. There's, there's the practical need to serve. Take this up that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, and, and we know the armor uh, uh, so well, the, the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. You've got to put it on. You've got to get out there and, and, and face the enemy. And, and, and let me go back to the passage in the bigger scheme of things, in the unfolding, remember, of God's redemptive purposes all the way from Genesis right through to Revelation. We see that the protecting of the nation then, on that day, what were they doing? They were preserving the offspring of the woman. In that generation, ensuring the perpetuation of subsequent generations, ultimately for the coming of the offspring. We read about in Genesis chapter uh, Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, after all these generations that have been preserved, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So do you get, do you get, the, do you get the purpose over here? To, to bring about the offspring to eventually bring about Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the bruising or the crushing of the head of Satan, Jesus who would bring about victory over sin and Satan. So that's the first part of the strategy. But Moses also understood not only to the need to serve the purposes of God, but the need to wholeheartedly trust the Lord. 
Not everybody went out onto the battlefield. How did he wholeheartedly trust the Lord? And, and how did he demonstrate that? By going up onto the hill where he would hold up the staff of God over the soldiers on the battlefield. Lots has been written in trying to understand exactly what Moses was doing. I concluded that we certainly could understand him doing that he was invoking God's blessing on those who were fighting on them as a nation, reminding them that God would give them the strength to overcome. That's, that's the picture. That's, that's what he's doing. And, and, and so there's, there's, there's a lesson, there's application that we ought to remember that, yes, God is sovereign over all, and therefore we can completely trust him at work, action, physical uh, doing, but at the same time trusting in the sovereignty of God, uh, that God will help us, that he will enable us to overcome the spiritual battles that we fight. Going back to Ephesians chapter 6, I don't think it's accidental that Paul ends the urging and the description, description of this fight and uh, the elaboration of the armor so when he concludes with the emphasis of needing to pray. What is prayer? It's a wholehearted demonstration that we actually trust and entrust ourselves to God. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Well, those are Moses' two strategies. I, I think there's another observation, another lesson evident from the passage that Moses, now remember, he's the God-appointed leader, and, and I notice quite uh, distinctly that this brother has personal limitations, even as this great leader uh, of God. Verse 11, we know the, this part of the passage, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone, put it under him, sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hand, one on the one side, the other on the other side, and so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And folks, there's a lesson here. Again, we cannot duplicate. We don't want to duplicate what happened on that day. But what I do say there, like Moses, each one of us, you and me, elders, deacons, leaders, each one of us, regardless of the particular God-given ability, the, regardless of the spiritual gift that you have been given, there's a limit to what you can do on your own. And so my third uh, point, yes, uh, the need to serve the purposes of God, the need to wholeheartedly trust the Lord, the need to see that we need each other. We need each other, the church. Moses needed help. Uh, help was given him by Aaron and her, and you and I need help from each other in the body of Christ. Why do we need help? Because we are frail vulnerable people with limitations. At best, we get tired and weary. When we're fighting in war, we will get even more so tired and weary and discouraged. Like any soldier on the field, on the battlefield, that soldier will get tired. That soldier will become weary. That soldier will need the help and encouragement of those around them. 
We need that in the spiritual battles that we fight. We can so easily become discouraged because of setbacks, even in the ministry of a local church, that are real. Weariness can overtake you as seemingly struggle after struggle after struggle seems unending. Doubts so easily creep, creeping in, and from time to time even wondering if our captain has won the victory. And that's when we need help. We need someone to come alongside of us. Maybe place a stone for us to sit on. And I'm using that metaphorically. Maybe, maybe to hold up our arms. The, the need of, 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 and the blessing, that's the point, of standing alongside of another soldier. But folk, to do that, you've got to be part of a local church. You can't be some random, isolated, independent believer out there watching on the internet. No, you've got to be part of a local church. You've got to know people. People have to know you. You have to be sensitive to them, and they must be sensitive to you. And then you can support them. They can support you in word and in, in deed, in, in just being present alongside of you. So, Frank, watch your back. You have an enemy to fight. I've tried to summarize this particular point. You can do that. We can do that in getting our hands dirty. Action. We can do that by wearing our knees out before God, praying. And we can do that being willing to serve and to be served. Number three, and this is my last point. Watch your back. You need to look up. So the outcome for Israel on that day is described in verse 13. Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. But the passage doesn't end there. God goes on and he speaks to Moses and he gives him some concluding comment uh, that he must pass on. And God instructed Moses to produce what I want to call this morning a written record of undertaking. Here's a promise from God uh, for the future. Uh, them having just defeated the Amalekites in the present battle, verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book, recite it in the ears of Joshua, and I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Physically, yes. But even more than physical, there's the metaphorical, there's the figurative, Amalek representing the enemy of God. And so here was a record to be preserved for succeeding generations to know of God's promise. Ultimate victory over the Amalekite. Ultimate victory over the enemy. God will eventually wipe them out completely. Now practically for them there's good reason and also for us. They would in their future travels as a people of God encounter the Amalekites. Further battles would be undertaken. And when they do, they and those who come after them need to remember the God-given victory over the enemy, the first encounter, but also the promise from God of the future destruction of the Amalekites completely. Moses then goes on to build an altar in honor of the Lord. It's an altar of remembrance, and he calls it, in verse 15, the Lord is my banner. 
That's how Moses summarized, and I'm going to try and explore that a little bit, how he summarized what they learned from their fight with the Amalekites. A lesson that they ought to remember as the people in future battles. And it simply reads in Hebrew, Yahweh Nisi. It's another name for God. The Lord was their banner. And then he goes on and he elaborates, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord, indicating that hands were lifted up in dependence of God on God to his throne. Now let me go back and just explain something about this banner. A banner is a military standard. It's a pole, a flag, a piece of cloth, if you like, uh, and it bears an insignia, uh, a picture, a crest, if you like, uh, an emblem. I, I said at the hill this morning, I was trying to think back this morning, I was uh, at, at Parktown Boys High School, and I remember our uh, banner arise on our badge, on our blazers. We were very proud of being the school uh, arise, and, and we, we would rally around that particular emblem. Well, back in the day, fighting soldiers always looked on their particular banner. You'll remember if you've seen any of the sort of movies from uh, days when people fought on horseback and, and foot soldiers, there would be the carrying of the banner. And so they would look at their banner. And what did the banner do? It established their identity. We belong to that particular army. That's the group that we identify with. It helped them to know who they were. On the battlefield also, it helped them keep their bearings because the banner would lead them in a particular direction. It would give them courage and hope, knowing that while the banner was flying, they were still fighting. That victory, at least their, that defeat, had not taken place. Well, back then, after the battle with the Amalekites, but also in the future battles, they needed to understand that it was not Moses. That's, remember Moses and his staff or his rod? It was not Moses and the appelled staff that was the source of their courage and strength. Moses is leaving a message. I'm not the hero. It's God that you need to look to. They're going forward, they needed to know that God was the source of their victory. God was the one who gave them courage and strength and victory. Now let's think about the present world that we live in. Has anything changed? You don't need to look very far to see how we people rally around banners. Everywhere. Every group of society. Nations have flags. We South Africans, very proud of our flag. Sporting teams like the Blue Bulls. They have a banner, they have a badge, they have an emblem, and, and, and people like to wave that flag and, and gather around it. And schools have crests, and, and schools have songs, and political parties have slogans. My point is simply this. It is within our human nature to have something to look to. Something for identity, something for security, something for unity, something for courage, something for hope. Challenge or the question is, what is your banner? At what place do you gather? And more specifically, what is your banner in spiritual battles that you have to fight? Where do you look for courage 
in times of difficulty and despair? Well, Moses had the best answer. The Lord is my banner. Whenever I am under attack, whenever we are under attack, the Lord is my banner. I rally to His side. Well, the prophet Isaiah helps us to see that the Lord is our banner too, believers. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, In, in that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal, that word can also be translated a banner or flag for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, it's, it's not difficult to see. Jesus is the root of Jesse. Jesus stands as a banner for God's people. People who rally to, rally to him from every nation. And so notice Isaiah doesn't say that he has a banner, that Jesus has a banner. He is a banner. It is a sinful men and women look to Jesus. That we are saved at conversion, but saved in the process of being sanctified and ultimately glorified. We see the same principle at work in John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Remember the snakes in the desert? Looking, looking, believing, receiving, trusting. Jesus lifted up on the cross. We're going to look and consider this as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Already, if you could start adjusting your thinking to that. Jesus was lifted up on a cross to die for our sins. It is there at the cross that victory was secured. Secured by Jesus over sin, over Satan, over death. We look to Jesus crucified and risen crucified for our sin risen for our justification and so our banner is jesus looking to the cross the work that he's completed the redemption accomplished and so whenever we come under attack the lord jesus christ and his finished work on the cross gives us courage to fight i close with a, a verse of scripture it's an appeal from the Apostle Peter to the scattered Christians who were being persecuted. Persecution? Kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. There you see it again. There's the antagonism. There's the conflict. There's the destruction. There's a will to annihilate the people of God. What does the Apostle Peter say to the Christians? Be sober-minded. Be watchful, Central Baptist Christians. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And don't think he doesn't do it among us. Seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that that same kind of suffering, suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so, folks, this morning, a challenge, I hope, to you. But I hope an encouragement, the Lord is our banner. Isaac is going to come and lead us. Uh, we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to, we're going to share this, the reality of this victory, of, of what Jesus has accomplished, of what he is preparing for us, and what we're heading towards in the new heaven and the new earth. And so, Lord, lead us, we pray. Minister to us by your Spirit, even as we continue at your table. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.